0: Ride on, ride on, in majesty, indeed. It was that seminal moment in the life of Jesus when, like the sovereigns of Jerusalem, he rode into the city on the back of a donkey. In the ancient world, monarchs, kings, sovereigns, queens, rode on horses as a sign of their power and might, their sovereignty, the honor that they were due. But in Israel, in Judea, knowing that the monarch was in fact not the sovereign of the people, God was their sovereign, and the monarch ruled on behalf of God that the people might be righteous and fulfilling the promises and the purposes of God. And so Jesus, like the kings of Israel, rode into the city on a donkey. While the city was, of course, occupied by the Romans, who wouldn't be thrilled, in the least, by the idea that another king was riding into the city for Caesar. The emperor was to be obeyed. So from the Gospel of Mark in the 11th chapter, beginning at verse number 1. When Jesus and his disciples were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, these are two towns on the other side of the Kidron Valley to the east of Jerusalem at the Mount of Olives. But from there you can see the, the city gate, the Holy Gate the beloved gate. But to get to the city from Bethphage and Bethany, one had to descend into the Kidron Valley, a very steep decline, and then a very steep ascent on the other side of the valley into the beautiful gate. So at the towns of Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Well, simply reply, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. So they went away and found the colt of an ass, tied near a door outside in the street. And as they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, well, what are you doing? Untying the colt. They replied what Jesus had said, and so the bystanders allowed them to take it. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks upon it, and Jesus sat upon it, And many people spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. And they went ahead and shouting before and behind, Hosanna, which means save us. Hosanna is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest. And then Jesus entered Jerusalem, went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany, returned there with the twelve. It's a remarkable story. We have images of it which are perhaps a bit inflated Um, It's not entirely clear how many people were involved. It was a big event. It did catch the attention of the authorities. But it's not as though all the people of Jerusalem were there, unlike the Memorial Day parade in Fairfield, where it seems as though half of the town of Fairfield is in the parade and the other half are standing on the side watching them go by. Much smaller affair, an ad hoc assembly but one marked by this remarkable claim that this itinerant carpenter, teacher, faith healer from Nazareth is the son descendant of David, the great king who united Israel into one people. In the shouts of Hosanna in the highest heaven, the idea that this person who doesn't even have a place to lay his head will be the one who will bring in the reign of god the salvation that god has promised and then it seems to end with a whisper he went to jerusalem entered the temple when he looked around at everything as it was already late he left Return to Bethany with the Twelve. This great triumphant entry, entry and then a retreat, as it were. Last week in Reverend Rose's wonderful sermon, I, I thought it was a wonderful sermon. I think you did too. When I said that this week uh, to several people, I, how impressed I was with her sermon, She said, well, you feel that way because she quoted you. (laughs) Well, I'm actually larger minded than that, I think. It was a wonderful uh, sermon. Uh, But Vanessa rightly pointed out the extremity of the situation that Jesus confronted as he entered the city of Jerusalem and the, the depths of despair which filled the hearts and the minds, the lives of the people who followed him And those who are greeting greeting him with the shouts of Hosanna, a prayer that God would save us or the declaration that God does or has saved us. The week prior, I wrote a little bit, spoke a little bit about the notion of salvation as that free gift of God by which our own lives are changed, not because of what we have done, but because of God's desire, God's will, God's essential identity of being as love, forgiveness. That to be saved is to live in the conscious understanding that you are beloved of God. The end of the story, of course, course, is not that you are beloved of God, but having been loved by God, then being changed and transformed by the experience so that you become a source of that love in the world for other people. That our lives as Christians, as individuals who follow a moral mandate, who seek to lead ethical lives, we do so not in the vain hope that we will somehow please God and thereby be saved, but rather we do so as a response to the great love that God has shown us, the fact that we are already beloved and we want to share that love, which expresses itself in practical terms and in transcendent terms. This is a moment that is full of the transcendent. By the world's terms, Jesus' response to the presence of evil that threatened his life and would take his life, and the evil that beset the people and the mendacity of the Romans, in particular that of Pontius Pilate, who is known for his rapacious behavior, we are called with Jesus to name and to call to account all those forces of evil and oppression that beset us. Certainly the people that greeted Jesus 2,000 years ago feel the same kind of distraught and uneasy moment that we feel today. In the last uh, two weeks, just over two weeks, the reintroduction into our lives of the madness of mass shootings, the use by civilians of weapons which were designed for war, which are readily available, in a country, a nation that seems to have lost its mind, not only lost its mind over the nature of the reasonable attempts to control the distribution and use of these destructive weapons that, are exist-, that exist only for the purpose of killing as many people as possible in as little time as possible, but the deeper spiritual malaise in which we have descended into which we have descended of all the ways in which the various forces of oppression racism sexism homophobia a perverted sense of human sexuality misogyny fetishizing certain people of different races, the intersection of these maladies, which are a toxic stew, ready for those who would sup at that bowl and then act on their feelings, their misperceptions, their bias, their hatred, using the arms that are readily at hand. So if the people of Jerusalem are crying, save us, Lord knows, we ought to be crying the same. Not a day for a mild and polite Hosanna. We do have baskets of these wonderful crosses made out of palms that Sherry got for us, and if you didn't receive one yet, I'm actually going to leave this basket of them out in front of the uh, doors. If they get a little wet, they're palms. It's a, wet, it's a basket. It's okay. If you didn't receive one already, come by today and pick it up and use it this week as a, a devotional device uh, to remind you about what's really going on um, in Holy Week that we are called in this week to a radically different way of viewing the world and understanding our responsibility as disciples of Jesus. We are not passive recipients of the grace of God. We are grateful inheritors of a tradition of salvation and the love of God, which opens to us the future in a way unimaginable by ourselves. And as those who inherit it, we become disciples of Jesus. That is to say, we are to follow him. That's what disciples do. They follow their teacher, their rabbi. Jesus is our rabbi. But more than a rabbi, One who transforms human history, transcends human history in a way unknown before, had never fully matched after his life, his death, his resurrection. Despite the fact that Jesus said to his disciples here in the Gospel of Mark and in Matthew and Luke and especially in the Gospel of John, For on the last night of his life, he repeatedly said to his disciples, I am leaving you, but when I go, you will accomplish more than I have accomplished. You will do more than I have done. This is the real question that Christians must answer, it seems to me that if Jesus is the Messiah and we are his followers, then why does the world look the way it does? It would seem to me that the only reasonable answer to that is that we haven't been very good as disciples, that we have in fact been part of the horde across history that has promulgated the inhumanity and the evil visited upon others because we view them as other and not worthy of our respect and beyond the pale. We've made monsters out of one another, thereby justifying in our own minds our own inhumanity to our brothers and sisters. So, Palm Sunday is a day to be chastened, to be brought to our knees, as it were. But also, in the reckoning and in the reflection, um, to be encouraged. That the shout of Hosanna is not simply a plea. Save us! Without you we are lost, save us. But more so a declaration, a trust, an affirmation that what God is doing and will do in the person of Jesus Christ, transforming the world. God saves us. And how will Jesus save us? By trying to face down the evil with force of arms? by mounting a rebellion against Rome, which might succeed, who knows, but would really change anything? Really? No. But by opening a different way, in his active nonviolent resistance to evil, not dismissing, discounting, or allowing evil, but owning, naming, calling to account that which is evil, the coarse and vulgar language that passes for public discourse in our nation, which is a font of evil and a spark that will light the fire of those who hate, but instead to show the depth of the evil by resisting it actively and nonviolently and exposing it so that Jesus saves us not by hanging around with the disciples and making everything happen. In a very real way, What happens in Holy Week to Good Friday is that Jesus is getting out of the way. As long as he hangs around with the disciples, they will continue to be confused, infantilized, hoping that Jesus will somehow save them and they won't have to do anything. They'll simply be there for the accomplishment, the fulfillment, the reign of God. And heaven's sakes, they argue with themselves. Who's going to get to sit at his right hand and his left when they get to the blessed paradise, to the reign of the kingdom of God? They already see themselves there. They don't want to do any other work to get there. It's ours To get there, it's our mission, our identity, it's disciples of Jesus, to embody his mission, to embody his person. The incarnation is not simply the event in which Mary gives birth to an itinerant who will become a a child who will become an itinerant carpenter. The incarnation is the transformation of humanity, you, me, our identity, together as the body of Christ. So rather than being discouraged by our honest accounting, we can feel encouraged by the promise that God has given us the power to accomplish that to which God has called us. To be heralds of good news. To be those who are actively engaged in creating the beloved community and establishing the reign of God's Justice, so that we might, with all the world, experience its fruit, which is peace. No justice, no peace. From Amanda Gordon's poem, the hill we climb. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? The loss we carry, the sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace. And the norms and notions of what just is isn't always justice. And yet, the dawn is ours before we knew it. And so we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our future first, we must first put our differences aside. Lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. To seek harm to no one, harmony for all, let the globe if nothing else, say this is true. That even as we grieved, we grew. Even as we have hurt, we hoped. Even as we are tired, we tried. That we will forever be tied together, victorious. Not because we will never again know defeat, but because we will never again sow division. Scripture tells us to envision that everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree and no one shall make them afraid. If we're to live up to our own time, then victory won't lie in the blade. But in all the bridges we've made, and the promise to the glade, the hill that we climb, if only we dare. For while we have our eyes on the future, history has its eyes on us. This is an era of just redemption we feared at it, its inception. We did not feel prepared to be the heirs of such a terrifying hour. But within it, we found the power to author a new chapter, to offer hope and laughter to ourselves. So while once we asked, how could we possibly prevail over the catastrophe, now we assert, how could catastrophe possibly prevail over us? We will not march back to what was but move forward to what shall be. The people who marched with Jesus, affirmed, proclaimed, believed that the catastrophe of their day would not overcome them, but that they would overcome the catastrophe. So shall we. All the ways in which our society has become perverted before the, beyond the vision of justice and liberty, equity, equality, mercy, peace, the ways in which our body politic has been twisted beyond recognition and our ability to communicate has been cast so low. by speaking and acting for justice, naming that which is evil and building that which is good. That is our Palm Sunday cry. Back to Amanda Gordon. We will not be turned around or interrupted by intimidation because we know our inaction and inertia will be the inheritance of the next generation. Our blunders become their burdens. But one thing is certain. If we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy and change our children's birthright. When day comes, we step out of the shade, aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it, for there is always light. If only we're brave enough to see it. If only we're brave enough to be it. And so this day, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we shout Hosanna, that we will have the grace to see it and the courage and the faith to be it, that we will be gathered among those who the providence of God and the gift of the Holy Spirit will make true the promise of Hosanna, God saves us. Amen.